0: You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Hey everyone, I'm real. <laughs> uh, Jacob Moon is real. And uh, it's this is so good for my soul. Hopefully, it's good for yours. And just, just soak it in and take it in. And you can worship God wherever, however but something powerful when we come together in person to worship God and we worship Him through what we've just done and through hearing His Word together. So my prayer and hope is that we're going to get a deposit from God's Spirit today to encourage us, strengthen us and uh, set us on our way. And so, uh, welcome everyone. If you don't know who I am, my name is Richard and uh, it's really good. And to those who are going to be watching this later on YouTube or wherever, it's great to be with you wherever you are. So, we're going to be uh, ending off our Series in the Beatitudes are called Pursuing Happiness with the Great One, Happy Are the Persecuted. So <laughs> glad <if> you came. <laughs> this week uh, I was reading a book by uh, Henry Nolan, a Dutch Catholic priest who spent some time in Toronto, a prolific reader, deep contemplator. It's called Following Jesus, but I couldn't find the book. And uh, I was searching for it in the house, and I found another book that my son is reading. It's, about, it's called 100 Most Dangerous Things on the Planet. And it sees spiders and snakes, and it's a good read there. And uh, following Jesus was under that. And kind of in a moment while I was looking at that, I was like, huh. We don't really connect following Jesus with being something that's dangerous, right? But this is where Jesus takes us in his most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount, in the final beatitude. And so today we're going to be talking about how happy are the persecuted. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. If you have an issue with it, take it up with him. But let's read exactly what he said. Matthew 5, verse 10 to 12 will be up on the screen behind me. Blessed are those, or happy are those, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Feels like a good time to pray. Let's pray. Father, we are just so grateful, so thankful. Twenty-plus months of just the craziness that we've all experienced. But here we are together, your people, and something special. Whenever your people gather throughout the world in buildings like this and in places that don't look anything like this, with two or three are gathered, you're with us, Jesus. And so, by your Holy Spirit, do you speak into our hearts what we need to hear today? God, strengthen us, encourage us, give us clarity. So we may be faithful followers of you, Jesus, in our time and in this day and age. In Jesus' name we pray that. Amen. So today, Jesus really is uh, going to tell us what uh, persecution is all about. We look at the reality of persecution, the reason for persecution, and then we're going to end off with response to persecution and yes there's three R's for you right there. So the reality of persecution. So we talk about persecution um, it can be many things. Some of you uh, know persecution because of the sports team you support. You know that if you choose a particular sports team and you come across somebody else who chooses another particular sports team, you can get some adversity in those conversations and those interactions. Some of us are cursed by being born in places where we can't shape the team you support because of trade families, And so there's an aspect of that that can be a playful, fun, persecution. Uh, the persecution we're talking about here is religious persecution. Religious persecution is simply this, it's any kind of mistreatment that you or a group of people might experience on account of your faith, of your beliefs. And so there are different forms that that mistreatment can take place in, in physical, Uh, imprisonment, death, uh, punishment, emotional. Jesus talked about being reviled means to be insulted, to be mocked, to be shamed, and then verbal, to be discredited. When people falsely accuse you, when they try to slander your character because of your convictions, because of your faith. And so when we talk about persecution, when we talk about persecution in a beautifully air-conditioned sanctuary like this in Canada, in the West, it can be a little lost on us, right? Because persecution is relative, and so it needs a context and a perspective for us to truly appreciate perhaps what we do have here. We live in a country that has religious freedom, but it's not so as we look at the world. And as we look back in history, 2,000 years of the church tells us that persecution is a very real thing and a very real threat uh, to us. And so I want to put before you an image. If you want to find out more about this, I'm encourage you to go to a website called opendoors.org. And they're dedicated to raising awareness and supporting the millions of Christians today that face extreme and high levels of persecution. And so that's just a little glimpse of our world today. When I'm not talking about something 100 years ago, 500 years ago. Today. Brothers and sisters who share the same law, the same faith, worship the same God we just did, living in countries of red extreme or very high places where persecution, where doing this uh, is life-threatening for some of them. And so it's 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 a sobering moment just to take that in. We need that perspective, right? Because we're going to leave here and get into our air-conditioned bus, into our air-conditioned car, back to our air-conditioned arms, and we we'll praise God for that. Don't feel guilty about that. But just remember the incredible freedoms that we do have here. But perhaps a story to bring us home a little bit more. And this is a story from 2019. Remember 20 years ago before the pandemic? Yeah, 2019. And this is a story, a true story by a pastor, a mega church pastor from Hawaii called Wayne Cordero. Some of you may be familiar with that name. And he shared about a recent trip to China with 22 Christian leaders in the communist country, 18 of whom had been imprisoned. And so their meeting was underground. And so he asked, if we get caught, what will happen to me? The pastor asked the Chinese Christians who took a 13 hour train ride to attend the leadership meeting, held in a 700 square foot hotel room with no air conditioning. Well, you will get deported in 24 hours and we will go to prison for three years, they responded. The 22 Chinese Christian leaders from the Hunan province oversaw 22 million Christians. In the beginning, it's quite about, it's quite some small leaders Bibles, the Hawaii megachurch church pastor asked them to turn to Second Peter, and he realized one of the women handed her Bible to another leader, but she managed to recite the entire book. During a break, he asked her about it. She said they have a lot of time in prison. Don't they confiscate the Bible, could they ask? She said they smuggle in pieces of paper with portions of scripture on them. That's why we memorize it as fast as we can, because even though they, can't take, they, even though they can take the paper away, they can't take what's hidden in your heart. At the conclusion of the three-day trip, when Codera asked him how he could pray for them. One man responded that they wanted to be free to worship like what we do. Could you pray that one day we could just be like you? But the Hawaii pastor said he would not do that. I will not pray that you become like us. But I will pray that we become just like you, he responded. You rode a train 13 hours to get here. In my country, if you have to drive more than an hour, people won't come. You sat on a hard wooden floor for three days. In my country, if people have to sit for more than 40 minutes, they leave. Please don't leave. (laughs) In my country, if it's not padded pews and air conditioning, people will not come back. In my country, we have an average of two Bibles per family. We don't read any of them you hardly have any Bibles and you memorize them from pieces of paper. I will not pray that you become one, us, but I will pray that we become just like you. And so, I don't need that for you to feel shame or guilt the freedoms that we have here. Maybe you have seven Bibles in your home. I think we probably have that many. But perspective helps us appreciate what we do have, hopefully, and perspective helps us understand that we're knitted together with brothers and sisters who long to do what we're doing here in this moment. And so our context in Canada is not like that in China. It's not like that in North Korea. It's not like that in many of those places. Canada wasn't in any color there. But our persecution may be a little more subtle because there is persecution. There is sometimes mistreatment because you stand for some convictions or you follow a leader like Jesus. Here in Canada, there's what's been a shift towards the privatization of faith. In other words, if that faith is good for you but it's for you in your private time, don't bring the Space And over the last 40, 50 years, Canada shifted from a larger Christian country to privatization of religion, privatization of belief. That's okay for what you do on a Sunday, but Monday through Saturday we don't want anything to hear about that at all. We see it having influence on in HR policies, what you can and can't do in certain workplaces, what you can and can't say in certain workplaces. Um, and so we're seeing a push to the market. Of society, that once where Christianity and the church had central at place in society, has now been pushed to the mountains in society. Now, this is not some like, oh my gosh, what was that? We're done for. Christianity is no longer the mainstream religion. Because let me remind you, 2,000 years of Christian history, church history reminds us that the church thrives when it's not in the majority, when it's not central. In fact, it thrives, when it's thrust to the margins of society. I love what sociologist and comparative religion expert, Rodney Stark, he asks this question of the first century. How did a tiny and obscure messianic movement from the edge of the Roman Empire dislodge classic paganism and become the most dominant faith of Western civilization? After three and a half years, Jesus leaves. Has 120 meager people following him. By today's standards are not a lot of success, really. And yet those 120 people filled with the Spirit going on to change the known world such that by the third century Christianity becomes the dominant religion of the world and had some problems with that. And so I think the answer, part of the answer to that question is part of our answer today. When a a, a clan of followers of Jesus, like in the first century, have no political power, have no economic power, but yet they manage to transform culture, it's because this. It's because they are demanded to live in a way that is all out in following Jesus. I love some of the lyrics that we were singing today, speaking about that. When you're on the margins of society, you need to become a more resilient disciple, otherwise you just won't make it. When it's not popular to be a Christian, you have to choose. You have to make some decisions. Who are you going to live for? What's going to be important in your life? When it's all comfortable, we don't really ask those questions. Part of the gift of the pandemic, and yes, I said gift of the pandemic. There's a lot of horrible things to this pandemic. But part of the gift of this pandemic is this very thing. It's given us pause to relook at our lives, relook at our priorities, relook at where we stand and what we believe and what we're willing to pursue in our life. And so we're demanded to have more resilience as disciples, to be more committed to Christ, to be more committed to one another, and to be more committed to his mission like they were in the first century. And we're also demanded to look at the culture with wise and winsome ways to engage the culture, and to be able to build bridges into the culture to bring in the eternal life-giving good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, if persecution is a reality, and it is a reality, What's the reason for it? The reason for persecution. Well, there can be bad reasons for persecution. Right? You know those people? You know those Christians? You know those people that just, you're like, oh, do we have to be associated with them? They get the press for all the wrong reasons. We've had some of that in the last 20 months as well. Like, that's the hill you're going to die on? That's what you think Jesus wants you to die on? That hill right there? And so their bad reasons is when we misrepresent Jesus. You know, fundamentalism is, is something that comes to mind. Or moralism, when we feel like we have to stand in judgment of people or people's lifestyles and make it known to them that they're they're gods God's appalled with their standard of living and that kind of thing. Um, I think those are misrepresenting Jesus. I'm not to say that Jesus doesn't have very clear standards of living, but there's a way to go about that there's a way, a winsome way, when we have harsh judgment on people who don't believe what we believe. Those are bad reasons. And we bring persecution on ourselves, self-inflicted persecution. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He gives us two very good reasons to expect persecution. Number one, we can call it the way of Jesus. He says, happy are you when you persecute for righteousness' sake. For righteousness' sake. What does that mean? It means we're following the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus. We not just want the life of Jesus. We want we're embracing the lifestyle of Jesus. You know, the irony is that we're in the eighth beatitude. When you live out the other seven beatitudes, it's going to cause some resistance in your life and mind. Why? Because it's so countercultural. It's so different to how often we're taught what's true and what's valuable in society. You know, vessel of the poor, really? You know, vessel of the meek. All those peacemakers, we looked at that last week. And so when we begin to actually take Jesus' words seriously, it's going to cause some natural resistance because it just cuts against the majority of where the culture is going. Um, later on, in Paul, as he had his own encounter with Jesus, I figured this out pretty quickly. He wrote to us to encourage us. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a bloody life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's good news. Who wants to live a bloody life? Well, persecution awaits you. Mistreatment <laughs> awaits you on the name of Jesus. And so our ethics, our morals, our values, our entire way of looking at life shifts and changes as we pledge allegiance to Jesus, as we follow him. John Stott uh, brilliantly nails it in a very short uh, sentence. He says, persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. So I can think of two particular ones as many. But today, um, the exclusivity of Jesus, and that Jesus is not just one of many ways to get to God. Jesus is not just one of many ways to express faith in God. And so in our culture, in this country, where tolerance is, is, is a value so strongly, that clashes with that value system, to what starts saying. said. Some people be wise in that, but there are many times when people don't like you saying the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. The other topic is what's historic sexual ethic. The church's historic sexual ethic, that we actually believe in marriage, And marriage is one man, one woman in a lifelong covenant. And so that's being challenged right now. And so when we begin to have convictions based upon Scripture, we begin to see that mistreatment, persecution, could become a a reality in our lives. The second thing Jesus said is not just for righteousness' sake. He said on my account, Happy are you when people treat you, mistreated." could say that allegiance to Jesus is going to bring us into conflict with people who don't share that allegiance. Uh, last week we preached, we spoke on peacemakers and, um, and this was a scripture I thought of maybe bringing into that, but I left it today because it talks about peace, but in a very different way. Let me read it to you and make some sense of it. This is Jesus saying, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Okay, so moms, dads, sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, just have a collective breath, calm down. Jesus is not saying not to love your spouse, not to love your mom and dad, not to love your children. Okay, Jesus encourages us to love our spouses, love our family. That he needs to be preeminent in our lives. That our love, our first love, our first allegiance is to him. And when we do that, we actually love our spouse and our family and our kids far better than if we didn't make him first place in our lives. And so that's how it works. But we do need to be clear in our hearts where our first allegiance is to, where our first love goes to. And so Jesus is not advocating through a sword, it's a metaphor. For sometimes what happens is division, that allegiance to him does cause division, even in some of the closest relationships we may have. Uh, My wife's grandmother, who passed away this year, uh, she uh, is Jewish. And um, early on in her life, she uh, became a Christian, a Messianic Jew. She placed her faith in Jesus. And her family cut off and disowned her. In fact, they actually threw a funeral for her. That's how dead to her dead to them, dead, how dead she was to them because of her faith in Jesus Christ. You may know people in a similar place who have done that. you may not, but this is the reality sometimes the allegiance of following Jesus means in our lives. And so, let's round this talk off and talk, okay, if persecution is a reality and if it does come into our lives, how are we to respond, how would Jesus want us to respond? And so the first thing just right there is Jesus wants us to be prepared. One of the reasons he's telling us all this is not to be fearful. Not to be afraid, not to be intimidated, not to withdraw from people who don't share your convictions. We didn't see Jesus doing that. He engaged people with love. He engaged them. He didn't minimize his convictions at all. But it was a way that he engaged people that drew them to him. Pushed the religious people away. The fundamentalism and the moralism. But it drew the people that he really came to save the sinners. And so there's a way that we can also do it. But Jesus doesn't want us to be caught up by surprise. Doesn't want us to be caught out to surprise When Sometimes you get some hardship for following Jesus, right? Maybe you signed up to following Jesus and was going to be a bed of roses. That was false advertising. But Jesus is saying, don't be surprised when this happens. It's it's, it's happened to me and it'll happen to you. So our response is not to be bitter, angry, self-pity, withdrawal. It's to rejoice and be glad. You know what that means? It means to be extremely happy, thrilled. Can we just pause here and acknowledge that Jesus is just very different? (laughs) He's just built differently, yes, the phrase goes. He's just built differently. Can we just acknowledge that? That just sounds weird. (laughs) Right? Can we just acknowledge that, Jesus, you're different. You're intriguing. That is such a different way to think about hardship. That is such a different way to think about pushback or mistreatment or persecution. many Very happy when, you, when this happens to you on account of me, right? Not for the bad reasons, for the right reasons. Our devotion to Jesus and following his way is seen as absolutely blessed by heaven and puts us in great company because it's so they did with the prophets that preceded them. So why can we rejoice and glad? how can Jesus say that? And I want to end off with just four quick reasons why. Number one, compassion. Compassion is two words in that and it literally means to suffer with, right? Compassion to suffer with. And so, have you ever had a shared experience, a deeply profound shared experience with another person? You know, often they talk about near-death experiences when you've experienced that with somebody, or you've experienced a tragedy with somebody. There's a bond that happens to those people that have gone through a shared experience. And in kind of a similar way, this is what we're talking about here: is Jesus will go on to encounter all he'll be talked about persecution. Physically, he'll be imprisoned, he'll be beaten, and ultimately he'll face death. Verbally and emotionally, he'll be mocked, he'll be insulted, he'll be falsely accused. And so when we have any kind of mistreatment because of our faith, Jesus steps into our suffering more deeply because we share that with him. We have a shared experience with him. And he knows what it's like to be marginalized. He knows what it's like even for his own family to be confused and turned on. And so take heart, take heart Stella when you get cut off from your family because Jesus walks with you. He knows what it is and he can suffer with us. And so compassion is the first thing. The second thing is formation. In other words, there's nothing like trial and persecution and hardship to make us stronger, to form us, to transform us into the image of Jesus. It's like going to the gym, right? If you start with heavy weights and get lighter, 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 it's not how it works usually. Usually you start somewhere and you try to push, push, maybe increase the treadmill time, increase the intensity put put more weights. What are you doing? Is you're building up greater resistance back. That's what God allows sometimes in our lives. He allows some of these hardships in our lives so that we can grow through it. And again, I'm going to draw upon Eugene Peterson. He has a way with words, and I want to read James 1, probably a familiar this scripture when we talk about trial, but listen to it through the message version how he says we're to counter the trials. Consider it a sheer gift, friends. When tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that under pressure... Your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely, or whatever you want to. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. You felt some pressure the last 20 plus months? You know, I think in some ways it's been really a joy to see how the hardship of of the pandemic has really made some people go deeper into their relationship with Jesus, deeper into community. We've had people join our church through a pandemic. Isn't that amazing? And in the same breath, it's been heartbreaking to see some people struggle in their faith, leave the church, and even for some to leave the faith. But that's what pressure does. Pressure removes a middle ground. Pressure removes a comfort zone. And pressure makes us decide where our true allegiance is. And pressure doesn't always resolve The tension is there. It's not like Jesus swoops in and says, let me take you out of this. I mean, who would have thought 20 plus months were still wearing masks? And who knows how long we're going to be in. But there's something that God is doing in His church through us as his disciples. That he's not overly concerned. That he's concerned for his church. He wants us to be purified. He wants us to have our true colors in self-revelation, which is a third gift that sometimes our hardships produces. We get a self-awareness and we just never would have gotten without that pressure. When you go to the gym and you try to pick up a 150-pound weight and realize you can't lift it, it tells you something. <laughs> You're an idiot, Richard. <laughs> Start with something less. But that's self-awareness. I didn't know that. Now I know that. see some of the stuff I like. That was a great news story. Google it. It's a, it's a fantastic. You don't often get a lot of great news stories in, in the papers these days, but that was a great news story. But what about you? It took a pandemic to what? What's changed in life? What's changing? What priorities are changing in life? What are, in your faith has been challenged and changed? What about church has been challenged and changed in your life through a pandemic? And so let's not waste that, um. So persecution, mistreatment, when it comes your way, you can see Jesus' gifts, God can use it for his glory and your good, ultimately. You know, a lack of persecution, a lack of mistreatment, a lack of hardship may also be revealing. Maybe we're just not living uh, with with clear convictions, maybe we're too wishy-washy, maybe we're too overly concerned about the opinions of others. Maybe we desire to be liked too much that we don't really want to stand for anything that would cause potential fracture in friendship or relationship. These are the things that get exposed um, as we experience those hardships. And then lastly, uh, we can rejoice and be glad because when we do face hardship, when we face mistreatment, when we face persecution, it's a reminder of true reality that we have a dual citizenship. Yes, we're citizens of this world. we to engage this world is full of citizens of it but we're also citizens of another kingdom and the king of that kingdom calls allegiance to that calls allegiance to his way and sometimes doves up the wrong way to our citizenship in this world it's another reminder that we have a reward that can never be taken from us that in Jesus we get access to the kingdom of heaven and the fullness of that and we long for it. advent is part of that longing not just for the first birth of Jesus but for his return that when we sing that song, the best is yet to come, we can absolutely sing that. It's not some cheesy Christian bumper sticker. It's the absolute hope of any Christian that the best is always yet to come because we know Jesus is not finished yet, that he promised his return. Now we long for that to come a bit quicker than maybe God's timeline is. For sure we understand that. But the best is yet to come. He is coming as a returning king. And no longer will sickness, death, sadness, war, injustice be a reality. It's what we long for and it's what we build. And it's also a reminder of our deep need and connection to Jesus. Paul the Apostle, who faced his fair share of persecution, he was a persecutor of Christians and then he began, uh, he followed the way of Jesus, became a, uh, had allegiance to Jesus, and then found out oh uh, how quickly it shifts. And he suffered his own persecution. But in 2 Corinthians, Verse 12, he talks about how Jesus said to him, encouraged him, and maybe you'd hear the words of Jesus speak this into your heart today. My grace is sufficient for you. Really it is. My power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul the Apostle says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then... I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. when we face those times when we feel like there's nothing left in us, it's a perfect opportunity and reminder that Jesus is enough for us in those moments. That we don't have to have it all together in those moments. That it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to not um, be able to sometimes handle the mistreatment you may get many lose friendships. It's okay to feel like that. Jesus is our strength in those moments when we face persecution. And so as we close, I want to invite you, I'm going to pray. I want to invite you, though, to, to think about that. Think about as we end off this the Beatitudes. Think about the way Jesus is calling us to live, how countercultural that is. Think about our moment in history right here, right now. It's a pivotal moment. We're not yet sure how this is. the Canadian or Western church was hitting down the park, right? We were on a steady decline. All the pandemic did was to say something that was going to happen in 15, 20 years, happened in two years. That's a gift. You know, you can do death by a thousand paper cuts, and all of a sudden you realize one day I'll have bled out. Or you can have your arm chopped off and say, oh, i better going to that out very quickly. <laughs> That's what's happened. That's what's happened. It's a gift to us. And how do we can respond? That's the key question. But Jesus is inviting you and I to follow his way, his truth, and his life. And by keeping our eyes and our heart fixed on him, we can be both comforted and courageous as we stand and live for him, follow him, pledge allegiance to him in our context. It's so one of what you do stand and pray, and I'm gonna hand it back over to both for the rest of the service. But um let's just have a moment where we just Come before Jesus and acknowledge that he is more than sufficient for us. And so, Jesus, we are challenged. Uh, We are challenged by the beginning of your sermon on the Mount, by these Beatitudes, by these values and just otherworldly way to live. Um, Lord, you've called us to pledge allegiance to you primarily. You've called us to follow in your ways, to hold to your convictions and to your truth. And you're telling us that that will bring us into conflict, that will bring us into resistance in some of the situations that we land in, some of the friendships or relationships that we may be involved in. And so I pray for all of us, God, as we encounter those, would you be our comfort? Would you you bring a boldness and a courageousness into our hearts that we would be a people that have convictions, that stand upon your truth, Lord, that have a way to stand and hold tight to our convictions, but at the same time to engage. Value systems, that we have winsome and wise ways to engage the people around us who wouldn't want to resist us, who would want to cancel us, who would want to perhaps shut us down, or even falsely accuse, revile, insult us. Lord, where we have an attitude that you would that you had towards your enemies, towards those that held us, or persecution towards you. And so thank you, Jesus, and we are weak you are strong, because your grace is sufficient for us. And So thank you for that reminder today in this moment as we as we face the uncertainty of our times your grace is sufficient for us for you are strong when we are weak and your name we pray this amen You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA thanks for joining us for more information visit our website at everynationgta.org